Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Anna Shaw. And I'm Kate Wilson. On this week's episode of the podcast, I spoke to Jonathan Tanner and Gabriella Dali from PEGA about uh, PEGA's new report co-written with RFI on building sustainable customer relationships. I really loved this episode. It was kind of an opportunity for me to spend um, a good 30 minutes talking about RFI data and how it relates back to um, to different providers in the market, um, to what PEGA are trying to do and how PEGA are trying to help financial institutions. So we spent a lot of time talking about some of the key trends that are coming out of RFI work at the moment around loyalty and how customers are becoming more multi-banked, um, less loyal, the fact that you've got customers interacting with banks via mostly digital channels that don't have that same ability to build relationships that banks would have done in the past. Um, and what PEGA um, spoke a lot about and what a lot of the key findings in the report come to is the, the idea that having um, personalization and being really personalizing your messages to customers is so important at the moment. So they shared some really good advice and I think some really good ideas around how banks can really tackle that challenge. Um, and yeah, just a lot of really great RFI data in there, of course, as well. I think especially loyalty and just the changing way customers interact with banks and having multiple banking relationships, something that we're speaking, we're speaking about so much internally and there's so much data that I'm sure the listeners will really enjoy. So let's get into the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I have two guests. I have Jonathan Tanner and Gabriella Dali from PEGA. And I'll hand over to my uh, to my guests to introduce themselves. Uh, Jonathan, would you like to go first? Sure. Uh, yeah, thanks, Kate. Uh, yeah, my name's Jonathan Tanner. I'm, uh, I'm the industry principal for financial services and insurance at PEGA here in, here in, uh, in Asia Pacific region. Uh, Gab? Hi, Kate. Thank you for having us on. I'm the one-to-one customer engagement specialist at PEGA, and I lead the engagement with some of our major banks, financial institutions, and our enterprise um, clients in in telco and insurance uh, for personalization and one-to-one. So great to have you both on the episode today. We're going to be talking about PEGA's new report on building sustainable customer relationships. I read the report the other day. It has some really fascinating insights in it, leverages a lot of RFI data, which is obviously uh, great to to, to talk about. Um, Let's jump in. Um, Do you want to give us a little bit of background to the report and to what you're doing at PEGA before we start to talk about some of the key findings? Gabrielle, why don't we start with you? I'm, I'm happy to jump in. Um, so for background on the on the report, I guess, um, one of the things we really wanted to explore with this report with the help of RFI was the interplay between some of the key priorities that at the moment are quite topical for banks, namely, um, obviously, each one of the banks and financial institutions in our market is looking at how they can acquire, engage and effectively retain customers. Um, and the environment's definitely changing. We, we are amidst a very low growth environment with the low interest rates and also a lot of increased competition. So we wanted to tease out how these priorities might be changing and of course, how our organization is actually adapting to this. From a PEGA perspective, um, obviously in the one-to-one space, uh, we support organizations in terms of how they can deliver more relevant um, and contextual and personalized experiences. So this was very topical for us. Um, it's obviously an environment where it's, it's difficult to find growth pockets um, and customer expectations are very much changing. We see a lot of fintechs out there that are challenging the traditional banking model um, and almost pushing banks to, to find a greater balance in terms of digitization and hyper-personalization. Um, and obviously this is uh, translating into a transformation of customer experiences. 
Yeah, and I, I think maybe just one sort of small point to add is, you know, one of the things we've obviously seen is that, you know, with everything that's been going on over the last 18 months with COVID and everything else, you know, there are some, some trends that we've seen, but I think what's quite interesting is almost to sort of normalize that out of the conversation because we recognize that, you know, banks have had a bit of a sort of a bit of a surge in the last sort of, you know, 12 and 18 months because of all the work that they've done to support their customers through the pandemic. And, you know, that's great to see. But I think what will be really interesting to see is whether that continues to have an impact in the in the sort of medium to longer term or not. And, and that's certainly something that we've sort of drawn, you know, sort of drawn to a little bit in the in the report as well. Yeah, I think one of the, the key things that, that sticks with me and, and obviously looking at the RFI data, the idea that loyalty is really shifting in the market. And obviously the pandemic has had an impact, but some of those key trends around loyalty, as you said, Gab, they, they really do predate the pandemic. There's uh, a low rate environment. There's new fintechs. There's more competition in the market than we've ever seen before. And all of that really is having quite a big impact. Um, in terms of that, that loyalty piece and even the importance of the MFI relationship starting to change, starting to shift in the market. What do you think are the key trends that banks really need to be thinking about at the moment? Yeah, I think one of the things I think is quite interesting here, um, you know, is looking at some of the, the things that have emerged over the last 18 months. I mean, you know, the, the, the four major banks in, in Australia in particular have had this real, uh, uh, you know, competitive advantage around the fact that that they've got a large branch footprint they are they are well entrenched within the market people recognize the brand it's a very well understood brand the, the challenge is is that when you take that aspect away you know and we've seen a lot of branches being closed through the pandemic you know and that's just an accelerating trend from here on in all of a sudden their presence in the digital world is 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 possibly not as all pervasive as it might be in in the high street so you know, that sort of starts to sort of put a lot of pressure on them to actually find ways of continuing to engage with both their existing customers, but also to, to sort of find new ones as well. And then I think the other thing is, you know, when you're doing that in a, a, a non-personal kind of, you know, face-to-face -face contact, how do you manage to maintain that really sort of personalized engagement, um, you know, in, in the same way as you might if you were just talking to somebody across a sort of, you know, a branch, a branch sort of telescreen. Um, and then the, the sort of the other underlying point as well is that, you know, demographic trends are really, really sort of starting to play out now. You know, the, the younger population in particular have absolute expectation of a very personalized experience uh, through their digital channels, their mobile channels, whatever else. And, and, you know, it's no longer acceptable for them that you cannot do everything you need to do through that particular channel. If they can't, then the likelihood is they're going to be very happy to literally jump across to the next app on their app store and start using that instead, because that's what brand is to them. Yeah, I know we'll talk about personalization as a little bit later on in the conversation as well. I think that point around how digital impacts is a good one as well. If you don't have that same interpersonal relationship with your bank that you would have had with your bank or with your relationship manager, how do you build that in a digital world? Yeah, I think for me, um, probably the interesting thing is that, uh, you know, we're seeing that churn in our industry is at an all time high. And definitely it's notable that banks and financial institutions are really struggling uh, with retention. But yet again, we're seeing that a lot more attention is being paid to acquisition. Um, and it seems like banks are more interested in getting new to bank customers through the door than actually looking at the looking after their existing customers. And I think, look, it's interesting because part of the reason for this challenge, I believe, um, 
is in, in the limitation that many institutions face and in being able to really operationalize the massive amount of data and insight that they actually sit on when it comes to existing customers. Uh, but additionally, I think a lot of it has to do with the maturity level, level of the Australian market when it comes to personalization across digital channels. Um, and I know that you know banks like CBA have definitely been global leaders in this space, but more and more, we're actually starting to see that uh, some of their peers and even some of the tier two financial institutions are starting to move across that evolution and that journey um, to move away from the traditional segment-based campaigns and, and focus on that real-time hyper-personalization. Um, also, when it comes to um, financial institutions, we're seeing the thing that really struck me about the about the research was the fact that um, we're seeing heightened customer satisfaction, advocacy, and trust, as uh, Jonathan mentioned in the beginning post-COVID. But interestingly enough, that's really not translating into retention outcomes. Instead, um, we're seeing that a lot of um, institutions, they've, they've witnessed pronounced improvements over the last 12 months, but still... Um, we are seeing that there's a lot of challenge with uh, with uh, churn as well. And you have to wonder what happens once that impact of COVID on things like trust and brand as that rolls off. And I think there's also probably a bit of a, a boost for the majors coming back from the Royal Commission as we start to see that leave the market and that leave customers' experience. Um, what does that mean for for especially those those larger brands who have to um, who are experiencing a bit of a lift in their trust and their brand at the moment as well? I think the retention piece is an important one too. We've, we see lots of acquisition offers in the market all the time when we look at our data, uh, and I know it's in the report as well, the idea that the existing customers get quite frustrated at the fact that they don't really feel like they're recognised, but new customers are getting all of these benefits and why aren't I being recognised for staying loyal? Um, obviously, a really key challenge for banks to try and address and a bit of a, a step change perhaps for them as well. Um, how do you think banks can address that challenge or that problem? What can banks do to really make sure they are uh, making their their current customers feel valued and feel like they um, that those customers feel wanted? I guess as well. Mm, yeah, I, I had a, a very interesting example recently of this myself. Actually, um, my main financial institution, who I, I, won't, I won't name, but um, I, I got a letter through the mail talking about uh, a mortgage offer, and you know, I'm somebody who's probably you know, reasonably well advanced in my career, shall we say, and, and you know, I'm in a position where I've got an established family and, a, you know, a mortgage and a house, and, you know, my main aim at this point in time is to start thinking about retirement planning and kind of, you know, paying down my mortgage and all those sort of things. So my question is, is when I get an offer through, through the door from my bank that's talking to me about signing up for a fixed rate mortgage and they'll give me all of these various incentives even though I've got an offset account that's got a fairly significant you know amount of cash in it I'm sitting there going why would you offer that to me it, it makes no if you think about my time of life and where I'm at in my journey with my bank it would make absolutely no sense at all and when I read it actually to be perfectly honest with you I looked at it and thought you know you really don't understand me very well if this is the best offer you're going to put in front of me and you know if they'd really thought about the sort of incentives that would make me think about deepening my relationship with them or, or, or taking out new products, you know, you would have started thinking about, you know, investment products or, or, or different sort of things structured for that time in life. And, you know, I think this is the problem at the moment is that a lot of the organisations really just focus on, you know, very segmented views of that are very product aligned. So, you know, if you're taking out a mortgage, they'll give you some kind of sign-on bonus for taking out a mortgage. You know, that's very popular in the market at the moment, um, you know, or some such thing. But actually, 
looking at an existing customer who's been with you for five or 10 years and going, what's the best thing I can do for that customer to make sure they recognize that we really do genuinely value their business? And that's more than just sending them a letter saying, we're here to help, right? It's actually about thinking very proactively about how do we support you as a customer going forward so that you continue to see us as an organization that you want to do your business with, right? I think Jonathan has hit the nail on the head there. Um, and for me, it's about how organizations can put the customer first, both when it comes to organizational culture and technology. I think culture is really important because I think if you look at banks in Australia, organizationally, a lot of them are still very siloed when it comes to lines of business, product, channel, even technology. And um, this needs to shift if we are going to put the customer first and prioritize uh, building stronger customer lifetime value, deeper share of wallet, um, and putting the customer first, there needs to be centralized ownership of that relationship with the customer. And of course, appropriate governance structure to, to actually support this. And from a technology perspective, you know, I did mention in, in the beginning sort of that traditional old way of spray and pray campaign segmentation approach. Uh, we need to move beyond that um, because that's really based around the notion of how can I sell the customer more products. We need to actually look at the relationship with the customer in its entirety across all of our products, all of our brands, um, all of our channels even, and start that engagement with putting the customer first and what's important for them. And I think in today's environment, you just can't um, can't overstate the importance of really, really having empathy lead your approach when it comes down to customer engagement. Uh, we have to focus on customer outcomes, but we're all in the business of, of running organizations that have KPIs. So it's important to be able to balance that with business priorities as well. And lastly, um, a lot of organizations are quite hamstrung by the fact that um, the, the logic in their engagement strategies have to be rebuilt in every single channel. So being able to have that um, channelless engagement, if you couple that together with putting the customer first, that's extremely powerful. It can really help um, drive better outcomes. Yeah, channels, um, something I'd like to, to talk about a little bit more. You, you've both mentioned the role of digital, Jonathan, the, the role that digital's played in sort of declining customer loyalty um, and Gab, the, the role that digital can play in really helping customers as well. Um, what I'd be keen to, to understand is what you think digital, what role digital can play in creating really positive customer interactions and experiences and how do, how do banks need to be thinking about the interactions that they have via digital channels, but also um, that omni-channel balance, which is obviously very, very tricky to get right for, for banks. Yeah, look, I, I absolutely. I, I think, and, you know, we, we often talk about this sort of this, this personalized experience. And I think, I think that the, the risk can always be that, um, you know, people or organizations think that in order to do this, they really have to have, everything in place before they can start to make an impact whereas you know we we really don't don't see it that way you know we think that it's something you can build over time you can you can add increasing levels of personalization you know even if it's just at the initial stage of just sort of having you know specific offers placed that really are more relevant to you or things like that but you can sort of build that over time but the the key point as well is it's not and, and gab sort of touched on this in her last point was it's not actually just about sales right it, you've got to think more broadly around the customer you've got to think about service you've got to think about empathy you've got to think about and and it's got to be incredibly contextual as well when a customer's coming to you from a digital channel because you know how you interacted with them yesterday may be completely different today because something's happened in their life they've had some kind of event 
you know, and they are in a very different state of mind than they were when they last interacted with you. And understanding that and being able to react in the moment is actually really important because, you know, it may be, it may be that, you know, you can, you can end up destroying a relationship very quickly if you don't understand that and understand how to, how to sort of deal with that very effectively. You know, I, I had a really interesting experience yesterday, which is, you know, something very front of mind at the moment, which is, you know, I've had my COVID vaccines and I'd had my second vaccine a couple of weeks ago. And for some reason, the immunization register hadn't been updated. So I phoned the place where I'd had my vaccine and they said, oh, have you phoned the immunization register? And I said, well, no, I didn't even know I had to. So I then phoned them up and they said, oh, have you phoned the person who gave you the jab? And at this point, you can feel my temperature starting to rise a little bit. And actually, literally, as I was giving my poor old wife the sort of, you know, the benefit of my opinion on all these people uh, downstairs in a slightly heated fashion, um, my phone rang and it was actually the nurse from the clinic where I'd had my jab saying, oh, I'm really sorry. I've just realized we hadn't updated the register. I've sorted that out for you. If you go on your app now, you'll see it's all updated. So I didn't, and there it was. And all of a sudden, my entire attitude toward them as an organization just completely flipped in a second, right? And, and that's, I think, where it becomes really important is knowing in the moment what it is that your customer wants is just so critical, right? so critical. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more, Jonathan. And I think for me, um, the way I think about digital channels is they're the fuel of personalization. There's so much rich insight, which when we combine, not in isolation, but when we actually combine that with what we already know about the individual as an organization, this can be very powerful to support hyper-personalized experiences. Um, and I really like a quote by Chris De Bruin um, from Westpac. Um, he, he effectively said, it's not the digital banking off to the side, it's banking as digital. To me, it's really important that we don't make the mistake of thinking about digital channels in isolation because just simply solving for the experience there does not mean contextual relevant conversations with customers. It's really important that we actually can um, be geared up to deliver these connected channelless experiences as was in your example, Jonathan, you know, you flipped from uh, the, call, the call center and from, um, from agents to uh, actually receiving updated information on the app. Building that strong connection between physical and, and digital channels is extremely important. Yeah. yeah, that frustration where you're seeing the channels all working independently of, a, of each other rather than working together to support. Um, I'm sure everyone has had that experience. I've, I've also had an experience uh, recently where trying to do something via a digital channel and being passed off to a physical channel, but with no interconnection between the two. Um, and in the current environment as well, there's, I'm sure, lots of um, you know, people not wanting to go to branches, people expecting digital to do a lot more for them as well. So really, um, really great points, really interesting uh, insights on, on the role of digital. Um, the other thing I want to talk about, going into a bit more detail around that personalization, hyper-personalization, one of the things I found really interesting in the reports, one of the key findings was that uh, at the moment, a lot of customer engagement is really reactive rather than proactive. And that really struck a call with me, both as, as someone who has a lot of research in, in this sector, but also as a, obviously as a customer of a bank. Um, what can banks do to make sure that they are preempting customer needs to a greater extent and that they're talking to customers in those key moments and avoiding those frustrating experiences? Mm. I, I think something that's always really interesting to me in this particular topic is that, you know, uh, Banks have so much information on us as individuals. You know, they have this huge amount of information and they struggle. They struggle to use that information. It's not always, but they do often struggle to really use that information. And, you know, when you when you look at the sort of uh, just the basic information you have as a result of your you know, financial statement and the things you've been doing, 
you know, there is there is enough information there for a bank to be able to determine at any given point in time, you know, broadly speaking, probably what's going on in your life. You know, if you're all of a sudden starting to see an increase in deposits and savings, then, you know, maybe this person's starting to think about buying a house or, you know, if we've seen a reduction in their salary payments coming in, you know, does that indicate they're under a little bit of financial stress and we need to have a conversation with them about some of our hardship capabilities? You know, so that information is actually something that should be, you know, pretty easily accessible and readily available. And therefore, you know, for most customers, and most customers would believe that to be the case, you know, I mean, I think a lot of a lot of customers now are way, way more sort of data savvy than they used to be. You know, they have a pretty good understanding of what information people hold about, uh, you know, organizations hold about them as people. And therefore, you can understand people's frustration that basically says, well, you knew this about me. And the answer is, well, actually, they didn't. They had the data, but they didn't know it. And, and so taking that information, but actually being able to use it in the moment, use it to build your engagement strategy with the customer is something that, that you know, we see as being absolutely central to the way engagement has to work going forward. And that point around hyper-personalization is really just you know, taking that and taking it to the next level where you can really, really think about what it is that the customer may need at every given point in time and continue to learn and build those strategies as you go forward. Yeah, and I have to say, um, I'm really surprised at how slow, you know, something like open banking, as an example, has actually taken off in, in Australia. And I think the key reason for that is the fact that um, a lot of banks can't operationalize their own data that they're sitting mm. on, uh, Jonathan, as you said. I think there's a big element there of being able to execute on that information to deliver personalized and relevant experiences. Um, and once we can do that with the data that we're sitting on, then we can get really sophisticated about utilizing other financial institution data or even you know, things like behavioral information that we're getting from streaming data, um, data sets and so on. Um, but ultimately, if you're able to constantly monitor the, the customer's context and be aware of how the customer's needs are changing as they interact with you. There's so much powerful insight there in being able to personalize and, and become um, and stay relevant, of course, to that individual's context as it changes. And I think for from a customer's perspective, it's for me, it's really important that an institution uh, engages with me on my own terms. Mm. So it's not about um, pushing me, uh, you know, irrelevant offers in the wrong channels, but it's about listening. What are the clues that I'm leaving you when I'm, you know, reading particular articles on your website or uh, opening the email or not clicking on certain links that, uh, that you've put in front of me? It's actually being able to adapt to that, listen and, um, and uh, personalize the experiences. Mm. I think your point on open banking is a really interesting one, Gabriela, because, you know, one of the things I, you know, having worked for, for banks previously, one of the things I always noticed was it never felt like there was the level of impetus behind it that you may be seen in some of the European markets, for instance. And, you know, there's like, you know, the conspiracy theorist and all of us looks at it and says, well, is it really in the big bank's interest to move forward with open banking at pace? Because, you know, in truth, you know, it opens up the doors for probably even more customer churn and, and so on and so forth. But actually, I, I think almost the opposite. I think what it really does is it opens up those opportunities. You know, we've seen some great examples in places like the UK where, um, you know, the ability to really leverage open banking data has meant that, you know, they can really provide some very innovative offerings, some of the banks there to their customers. You know, that ability to, for instance, you know, look at the sustainability impact of your of your choices as a customer, for instance, or, or you know, being able to take insights from, from uh, multiple sort of sets of sources before you make a, a product decision. 
and and it's it's that sort of opening up and understanding of what that information can provide to you that 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 can really help sort of power you to that next sort of step change in the way that you engage with your customers. I think the point that you make as well that customers have an expectation that the data that they're already providing to banks is going to be used is a, is a good one as well. Mm. Um, and I know everyone's had that experience of being asked for a piece of information that they think they've already provided. And that I guess that, that does point to really the challenge for banks to make sure that they're not just collecting that data, but then using it effectively. Um, and open banking obviously helps with that. But is there anything else you can provide in terms of insight around how banks really should be using the data that they have already or perhaps some um, good good uh, best practice examples of what you've seen so far? I think from my perspective, um, some of the good examples are where, where you think about some of the leaders in the market, what are they doing right, right? Um, and one of the points that sticks with me is they've been able to really centralize the way that they operationalize data that they hold on their customers um, through centralized decisioning. And when we say centralized, we mean it sits in the center of all your channels. It's cross-channel, channelless, um, so that really your organization is able to appear as one voice um, when it comes to the entire customer experience. And that's optimized across the, the high-level corporate objectives. So some of the principles that I, I think, think of that are applied by leaders in one-to-one -one engagement are, of course, remaining customer first. So um, I know a lot of organizations struggle with being able to operationalize that on an individual customer basis, but that's extremely important. Um, because you have to be able to, um, to execute um, data-driven insight on a one-to-one -one customer basis. Um, and then secondly, remaining outcome focused. I mean, we talked a little bit about balancing um, the customer outcomes across sales, retention, service. You have to ensure that you're always relevant to what's important for your um, customer. And here, you know, uh, technologies such as um, artificial intelligence, machine learning, predictive and adaptive analytics that a lot of the banks are sitting on can be very, very um, helpful. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, timing, I think, is really important. Being able to execute strategies in the moment as a customer engages um, is extremely important because it really comes down to um, personalizing when the customer is ready um, and putting an offer or proposition in front of them when they're ready to engage, not when it's irrelevant. Um, and last but not least, I think um, arbitration at an enterprise level is really important. So being able to really utilize responsible um, AI and machine learning that's really compliant um, and has the ability of operationalizing the predictive and adaptive models a lot of organizations are sitting on um, to really predict the most relevant action message or offer. And if you can do this in the moment, it's extremely powerful because today in our old you know, campaign world, it can take four to eight weeks to get a proposition out the door. That's not viable and it doesn't really support um, good outcomes for customers and the banks themselves. And then I guess the, the final question I have around um, hyper-personalization and delivering personalized uh, messages to customers or personalized experiences to customers, how do you get the balance right to make sure that customers don't feel like it's too personalized? I think we've all heard that, you know, that idea of um, it's, you know, it's a bit creepy that my bank would know that I'm about to buy a house or, I mean, hopefully customers are, are open to getting the right, uh, see the utility and getting the right messages at the right times. But how do you avoid that um, looking like you know too much about customers, especially when there is so much concern and, and anxiety around data security? Um, yeah, look, I think, I think it's, I think it's an interesting, it's a really interesting point. And I, I think, you know, my observation here is it, it's quite contextual. You know, sometimes you're actually really happy for it to be very personalized. Like, you know, if I'm actually in a direct interaction with you, 
the fact that you can bring data into play to to really help my, me get to the right outcome quicker is 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 fantastic and i'm really gonna i'm really gonna be sort of you know too unhappy about that i think where people start to get a bit twitchy is when they see you know information being pulled from other sources you know not information that's been provided and then use that to sort of put something in front of you where you look and go well that's a little bit spooky how did how did that come about and i think you can tune that over time right you know i think it's important to be able to sort of differentiate between a a a sort of an initial engagement through to a more contextual deeper engagement that you might have with a customer and i think that's something that we would see as being you know an important part of designing how an engagement strategy would actually actually play out and how it would um, it would it would work i mean you know i, I it never ceases to make it, it, you know I, I think i get the point i mean you know we always find it a bit creepy when you're on a website and all of a sudden ads are, ads are coming up for things that you're sitting there thinking how did he know that about me you know and, and it does it does but i think people are becoming more used to that now i'm not sure it's something that they necessarily feel as 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 bothered about as they probably used to that idea that my phone is listening to me, but I, yeah, I quite like yeah. that. I quite like all the targeted <laughs> so do ads. I. So do I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there must, there must be a balance. Um, I agree mm. with you both in terms of being focused on the customer outcomes. I think that today in today's world, we all know that organizations um, leverage a lot of insights that they know about us. And there's an expectation that they'll be doing that almost. Um, but it's about how do they leverage that information to actually uh, ensure that they get us to our outcome quicker in a more seamless way, uh, rather than actually, um, you know, feeling really creeped out by the fact that uh, you're getting ads on Facebook for merchandise that you were looking at a second ago on Google. Um, and again, I think a centralized and holistic approach can really help with that because it's about balancing um, all the different data sources that you have about an individual um, and being able to bring that in as part of a holistic engagement strategy that really helps you zero in on what's important to this individual right now as they're engaging with me. Mm -hmm. And being transparent as well, you know, with the customer is that if they want to know how it is that we know that about them, then, you know, be open to providing that information to them. Right? I mean, there's, you know, there's no secrets to be to be hidden about that. Absolutely. That's and I think these days, point. I think these days there's technology also that can really assist with that. You know, when we think about a centralized decisioning um, that if, if you have predictive and adaptive analytics or even um, machine learning that can help you uh, arbitrate between lines of business and determine um, how a customer's changing context is adapting um, and bring in that balance of customer outcomes with business KPIs, that can really help um, staying, staying relevant within guardrails, I think, as well. Mm. I think all of our research around open banking really points to the fact that customers, if you ask them directly, are a bit nervous about sort of data sharing, but where they see the utility and the benefit to them, it changes their mind. And if you can provide that transparency around this is what we know, this is where it's stored, it's all secure, it's all safe, um, that really helps to allay those customer concerns as well. Well, uh, Jonathan, Gabriella, thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed this discussion. I love talking about loyalty and customers and how to meet those customer needs. So really great insights and such a great conversation. Uh, where can our listeners go to find out more about Pega and to read the report? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, obviously our, our website is the first point, but, you know, we, we interact with people through all the normal channels as well. So, uh, you know, it'll, and it'll be available through, through all of those. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Global Digital Banker podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Podbean.